Welcome to the Prophecy Club. You may be saying, so Stan, why are you playing these broadcasts having to do with America's occult holidays? The answer is because I don't want you to, how do I say this, to break the laws of the Lord. And that is by putting up a Christmas tree, doing this whole Santa Claus thing, and many of the other things surrounding Christmas and many of our other American holidays are actually based upon the occult. I want you to understand that. I stopped putting up a Christmas tree uh, 25 years ago. Oh, my goodness. When you understand what the Christmas tree is and also that wreath, that round decorated thing that people hang on the front door, when you understand that the Christmas tree is a phallic symbol and that wreath that you hang on your front door is the female genitalia, when you understand the occult behind that, you would never, ever, ever do such a terrible thing. But we do it because, well, our parents did it and the parents before them and all of our friends do it, but we haven't really thought what it really means, and that it offends our Lord. We haven't understood that the Christmas tree decorated is really worshiping another god and putting our gifts under the tree is exactly what the pagans did in the preach-off between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. If you go in to read your Bible, you'll discover that one of the things that angers God the most is worshiping underneath a tree. Brothers and sisters, it's really bad, really bad from Stephen Dollins. Now, this guy was an ex-Satanist high priest of the Church of Satan. He reveals the origins behind Christmas, Easter, Halloween, and other things. I want you to listen. I want you to get this offer. We've made an amazing offer, five DVDs, four titles, all having to do with the occult, not only around our holidays, but also, as a matter of fact, another one by Steve Dollins is a cult in your living room. I dare say that Steve Dollins could walk through your house today, and you would be shocked at what you have in your house that is opening doors to occult, to satanic activity. Look, do you have trouble sleeping at night? Do you have bad dreams? Do your children have bad dreams? Do they wake up in the middle of the night screaming? Well, then you have an open door, my brothers and sisters. I would dare say that Steve Dollins could walk through the house of the average person listening right now, and he could probably fill a garbage sack full of things in your house that you did not know had to do with the occult, had to do with opening doors to the occult in your house. (laughs) you got to get yourself informed. So again, five DVDs, four titles, valued at $140, all for a gift of just $40. Tell you more at the end of the program. Go to prophecyclub.com to find out more about it right now. Let's go and listen to Steve Dollins talk about occult holidays revealed. Jesus compares Satan to lightning, and in Luke ten nineteen he says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Lightning always travels the path of least resistance, and the enemy does the same thing. He moves along that same path. And the Word of God also likens Satan to a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Who who he will devour? No, who he may. Which means that you have to allow him to be able to devour you. Let's look at the lion, some of the attributes of the lion. He's a predator of opportunity. He goes after the injured. He doesn't go after the leader of the pack. That would be too easy. And once the leader got hit, 
then all those that are behind the leader are going to run off. So he can't attack that way. He attacks from behind. He goes through the back door. And he goes after the injured. He goes after the youngest. He goes after the smallest. And he goes after the weakest. And the one with the least ability to run or to fight. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what our children are. They are the most vulnerable. They are the weakest. They are the ones who are easily injured. And they are the youngest. The origin of Santa Claus is real interesting. I want you to see this. He began as a 4th century Catholic bishop named St. Nicholas. He, and, and so began the cult of St. Nicholas, and that was a powerful religious movement at that time. Now, the Christmas Almanac states that by the height of the Middle Ages, St. Nicholas was probably invoked in prayer more than any other figure except the Virgin Mary and Christ himself. So Santa's right up there with the Virgin Mary, and he's right up there with Christ himself. Legend and folklore surround this figure, and it said that this saint performed many miracles. Some of the legend that it says is that he rescued three girls uh, destined for prostitution. He also resurrected the bodies of three uh, young boys that were killed by a sadistic innkeeper. They were, they were murdered and mutilated. And St. Nicholas also gave gifts out to the poor uh, children, and that was his veneration as patron saint of the children. Santa legend appears in the Netherlands around the 17th century. Dutch children placed their shoes by the fireplace on December 5th. For this mystic 4th century bishop, they named Sinterklaas, who magically passed from housetop to housetop and entered in through the chimneys. And this tradition was brought to America by Dutch settlers in 1626. Now listen to me carefully. All the the holiday celebrations that we practice over here never originated in America. Never. They were brought to us by other people. And we caught on to it, and we adopted it. We changed a little bit of it so that it would taste better, and we now practice it. It was there here that the name took the anglicized form of Santa Claus or Santa Claus. Because of such controversy over whether this saint actually existed or not, Americans introduced a radical change. So now it's over in America. We don't like the way that Sinterklaas looks. So we want to make him a little bit more friendly, child friendly. So here's what they did. They gave him a red uniform. They put a bald stocking cap on him. They gave him a magical sleigh. And oh yeah, by the way, did you know that when the origin of Santa Claus first originated, he wasn't riding in a sleigh. He was riding on a white horse. We took it over in America and gave him reindeer and a sleigh. And then you notice that there's the magic present bag. Well, Santa's got to have a magic present bag because there's too, just too many people to give presents to for one night. And you notice that his bag is never empty. He may, he may go down thousands of chimneys, and come back up and his bag's full again. So it's a magical bag. And he has morphing powers. Well, he has to. He's a jovial big guy, okay? How's he going to get through the chimney if he doesn't ship, you know, shift his, his form? He's a shapeshifter, okay? And in 1969, Pope Paul officially decrees the Feast of St. Nicholas removed from the Roman Catholic calendar. Now, I thought it was kind of interesting because the Mother Church saw the fallacy of this and had it removed from their calendar. But the other churches didn't. 
and traits of Santa came from Norse mythology. Santa Claus was adopted by the country's English-speaking majority under the name Santa Claus. And his legend of a kindly old man was united with old Nordic folk tales of a magician who punished naughty children and rewarded good children with presents. So now he's come from a jovial, good old friendly guy to a magician. The Nordic settlers that came to this land also brought with them their beliefs and gods with them. Now, what I want you to see is this. The Norse god called Thor was called the Yule God. And he was the god of the peasants and the common people. He was represented as an elderly man, jovial and friendly, of a heavy build, with long white hair and beard. And his element was fire and his color was red. Thor was also the god of thunder and lightning. And there are too many other parallel traits that are too important to ignore. Now, I I put all this on here because I want you to see this. I think it's real interesting and and you'll, you'll... Really look and and you'll see something in this. Thor, the Yule God, the rumble and roar of the thunder was said to be caused by the rolling of his chariot. And he alone among the other gods never rode on horseback, but drove a chariot drawn by two white goats called Cracker and Nasher. And he was fighting the giants of ice and snow and thus became the Yule God or Christmas God. And he was said to live in the Northland, North Pole where he had his palace among the icebergs. He was said to yield a mighty hammer, but never use it against humans. The fireplace in everyone's home was sacred to him, and he believed that he entered through the chimney into his element of fire. So Thor's element is fire. That's why one of the Christmas colors that you see the most of is red, because it represents the element of fire. Let's look at some of those traits now. He's an elderly man, jovial and friendly. He's heavy build with a long white beard and hair. Element is fire and his color is red. He drives a chariot drawn by two white goats called Cracker and Nasher. Sound like something else? He was the Yule God at Christmas time. He lived in the Northland or North Pole. He was benevolent to humans and the fireplace was a sacred place to him. And he came down through a chimney into his element the fire. Thor is probably history's most celebrated pagan god. His influence is obvious today as it was in ancient time because the fifth day of the week is named after Thor Thursday or Thor's day by the Romans. Thor's symbol was a hammer and a hammer is also the symbolic tool of the carpenter toy builder Santa Claus. Thor's helpers were imps and fairy-like creatures who were also skilled craftsmen. Brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully. If you study the Celtic religion, or you study the the Celtic culture, you'll find that fairies and and imps, or elves, were not your little cute little creatures that ran around and, and made toys. These were mischievous, nasty little creatures. People feared them. Even in Ireland today, the legend goes about uh, uh, leprechauns and about elves, and they fear these things. They're not the cute little, you know, guy in the green top hat, you know, that, oh, no, let me go, you know, nothing like that. They were nothing like that. These people feared these things. They were nasty. And you notice that they are also craftsmen. This is what you're seeing here is a representation. This is a a portrait of Santa wearing his crown of thorns. And notice also the halo. Remember we talked about the summer solstice, the winter solstice, 
and the winter solstice was how, how the sun positions itself in the sky. What you're seeing around him, the halo represents the sun. And you'll notice that he has a crown on his head, and it's made of holly, berries, and mistletoe. And brothers and sisters, that is nothing more than a mockery of the crown of thorns on the head of Christ. Today we see this character in department stores and malls nationwide. Children are told that if they're good, he's going to bring them good gifts, and he knows the secrets of each and every child in the world. And that's how parents control their children even today. If you're not good, Santa's not going to come see you. We've heard that. I heard it as a child. I mean, if I was doing something bad, I straightened up real quick because I didn't want to get missed. And we, we get the child to fear the creation more than the creator. They're fearing a, a, an image more than the almighty God himself. Author Francis Weiser tra- traces the origin of Santa to the Germanic god Thor in her handbook called Handbook of Christian Feasts and Customs. Behind the name Santa Claus stands the pagan god Thor. In Asia Minor, Santa was a common name for Nimrod, out of Langer's Encyclopedia of World History. The fire god who came down the chimneys of the ancient pagans is the same fire god to whom infants were burned in human sacrifices. Today, Santa Claus comes from St. Nicholas, and that was conceived by Washington Irving, uh, in, in one of his books in 1809, and he started calling him Jolly St. Nick. And I thought that was kind of strange because, see, over in, in Wales and Scotland and Ireland and that, that region, Old Nick is the most common name, nickname for the devil. And Revelation 2, 6 and 15 talks about a doctrine of Nicolaitans, something that God says he detests or hates. The word Nicolaitan means follower of Nicholas. And the word Nikos means conqueror or destroyer. Laos means people. Therefore, Nicolaitans are people who follow the conqueror and destroyer, Nimrod. Nimrod, called the hunter, is often pictured with wings holding reindeer and a fir tree. Or a Christmas tree. Old Nick is a well-known British name of the devil, and it seems probable that this name is derived from the Dutch Nikon, meaning the devil. Besides the name Satan, he's also called Beelzebub, Lucifer, and in popular or rustic speech by many familiar terms as Old Nick, taken from the Oxford English Dictionary. Santa Claus originated from a character identified as the devil or Satan. Now watch closely. The rearranging of letters called anagrams in order to hide secret names or words has long been used in the occult. In fact, one of the most infamous Satanists of all time, a man named Aleister Crowley, who wrote a book called Magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, said, let all things be concealed and let all things be done backwards so that the, the common man won't, uh, won't try to figure it out. And it began with the Jewish occult book called the Kabbalah. And the Platonists had strange notions as to the influence of anagramic virtues, particularly if anagrams involved from names or persons. So an anagram is a name with reversed lettering in it so that it hides a code name. Helena Petrova Blavansky, try to say that three times fast, was a Satanist and New Age teacher, and she writes in her book called The Secret Doctrine. In volume 3, page 78, she says, Many a mysterious sacred name conveys to the people ear 
no more than some ordinary and often vulgar or common word because it is concealed anagrammatically or otherwise. And now it stands proven, she's still talking, that Satan or the red fiery dragon, the Lord of Phosphorus and Lucifer or light bearer is in us. It is in our mind, our tempter, our redeemer, our intelligent liberator and savior. The name isn't important, she says. It's in the letters. Lucas and Lucius are New Age code words for Lucifer. Alice Bailey, one of the most uh, uh, proliferant, uh, prolific uh, people who adopted the New Age movement, she was one of the founders of the New Age movement. How many know that it's not New Age at all? It's, it's actually Old Age. It's going back to witchcraft. And they just call it New but she founded the Lucifer Publishing Company, and in 1924, she named the name, she changed it to Lucius Trust. Now, did she change the name? No. It still stands for Lucifer. Lucius stands for Lucifer. So let's look at Santa Claus. We know that Satan and Lucifer are one and the same being. And the name then comes to light. Because if you change the name around, anagrammatically, you see that Santa is actually Satan and Claus is Lucius. So it's Satan Claus. The Christmas wreath. You see these things all around. Um, this is a big church. And what you see here, down in, down in the side here, are people. That, so that's how big that church is. That's their heads right there. I, I don't know why that phoenix is there. But all around this church, there are wreaths of all shapes and sizes. And there's an interesting thing about the Christmas wreath. They're found hanging on thousands of houses in America every year. We, we put them on our doors. We put them on our, on our porches. This is a Colorado uh, couple who put up a peace sign wreath, and it was banned by the city's housing authority because it was an antichrist symbol. Now, it, it, isn't it kind of strange that a housing authority understands that this is an antichrist symbol but when you put the Masonic symbol in anything, that's good. Again, our discernment's gone. And so what they did is they, they put this sign on there. And by the way, that's also the sign of the broken cross. When you're uh, initiated into Satanism, you're given a ceramic cross. You turn the two, the, the two points up so that the cross is now upside down. And you take those points and you break them down, symbolizing your break with all forms of Christianity. So that's where the broken cross comes from. If you turn it upside down so that now the, the uh, three points are up, what it means is it's the crow's foot and it's a powerful spell casting symbol in occultism. Here it is. Now they put lights on it. So this was on their house. Um, I haven't heard anything further about whether or not the, you know, they put that back up again or something different. Here's a wreath. This is, uh, this is one of the Christmas wreaths that you see in churches a lot. They're decorated with lights. They have pine cones on them, uh, holly, things like that. You even find them in malls. They're big, they're big and they're always well lit so that they, they glow. But the interesting thing about the wreath is that it's also, oh, this, <laughs> this was real interesting. I, I found this. This is a representation and supposed to be a wreath of old man Christmas. Now, I hope you can see that. What I want you to see is that face there is clearly a demonic devil face. And there are the horns. And there's another faces down here. 
demonic faces down here. And that's supposed to be a Christmas decoration found in a mall. I won't tell you what city that's in, but it's in a mall in the, here in, in the United States. Wreaths are circular, and in all pagan witchcraft practices and beliefs, the circle is a fertility symbol, and it symbolizes the female womb. In uh, the occult in your living room, one of the first things I did on that video was I showed you all the occult symbols, and I showed you one of the symbols was the circular snakes uh, forming a circle, the snakes coming up and then their heads forming at the top. And that was a 2,000-year-old, over 2,000-year-old symbol of fertility. It represents the female womb. It's also referred to as the circle of life, and in the Keltry tradition, it represents the wheel of the year. It's made of evergreen, holly, and pine cones, and it represents their gods and goddesses of Yule. That's what the wreath is. Mistletoe. Now, you, you see this hanging over the doorway during, a missile, you know, during the holiday season. And, you know, did you ever ask yourself, why do we kiss because we're standing underneath poisonous and parasitic shrubbery? Amen. It's true. It's true. Mistletoe will kill a tree in a heartbeat. It's a parasite to other plants. And we have to ask ourselves, why do we put this over our best girl or our wife or, you know, whoever it is that we want to kiss from? And why is that custom celebrated on Christmas time? Well, the word mistletoe was derived from the Anglo-Saxon words mean mistle, which means dung or poop, and ton, which means twig. And mistletoe is the Old English version of mistletoe. It's a plant thought to be named after bird droppings on a branch. You see, in the early centuries, they believed that it grew from birds, that birds would light onto a branch, poop on it, and then this thing would grow. And so when you're kissing your best girl under mistletoe, you're kissing her under poop. I told you I wasn't going to sugarcoat anything. How did this plant become entwined with Christmas? Well, in France, the reason that mistletoe is poisonous, they said, is because it was growing on a tree that was used to make the cross on which Jesus was crucified which made it uh, uh, poisonous and parasitic, and now it, it has no place to live on and grow on the earth. The Vikings, dating back to the 8th century, believed that it has power to raise the dead. They related it to the resurrection of Baldr, the god of the summer sun. The Druids believed it would perform miracles, like from fertility to uh, healing diseases to protection from spells and curses, and they cut it off of oak trees in special ceremonies, Five days after the new moon following the winter solstice. So it was, a, it was a special thing to do. And what they do is they use special white cloth to catch it because they believe that if it hit the ground, it would contaminate it. And then the Druids sacrificed two white bulls while prayers were spoken, while this was all going on. And then the Druid priests would give out sprigs of this plant to the people, and now they believed that they had protection from evil spirits and storms. Mistletoe. So why do we kiss under it? Well, mistletoe was believed to be a sexual symbol because of the consistency of the color of the berry juice, red. Used by the Druids, it's an aphrodisiac. You want to turn your woman on? Give her, give her some mistletoe. It might kill her in the process. You know. Said to be the soul of the oak from which it grows. It was related to fertility and associated with the Roman festival of Saturnalia. Correct etiquette is for the man to remove one berry when he kisses a woman. And when all the berries are gone, you can't kiss under that plant anymore. And a couple who kisses under it will have good luck. If you don't, you'll have bad luck. Maidens would place it underneath their pillow to dream of their future lover. And burning the plant was used to foretell a woman's marital bliss or the lack of it. It was a form of divination. 
So what you see is many of the customs and traditions that we celebrate in America are steeped in witchcraft and druid beliefs and practices. And we adopted it. And we let it into the church. Christmas bells. When you hear those Christmas bells, an alarm should be going off in your spirit. That something's not quite right. These are, these are the sort of things that we've got to start looking at as being not quite enough good to allow into our church. That we shouldn't be practicing. It's even in Harry Potter. The latest movie, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, takes place during the Christmas holidays. Now, why would witches and wizards celebrate a holiday if it had to do with Jesus Christ? They wouldn't. This is, uh, this is Hogwarts, wizardry of, uh, School of Wizardry and Witchcraft. And what you're seeing here is those are Christmas trees, and they're, and they're all levitated. They are, they're floating in the air. There is a sun symbol and a crescent moon on that wall behind Harry. Here's Harry and his friends sitting here. There's all kinds of uh, satanic and witchcraft symbols on the windows. But the sun and the uh, crescent moon are also symbols of priesthood and, and priestesshood in witchcraft or Wicca. Santa's reindeer. We know that Santa's reindeer are magical. Under the 19th century, Santa flew on a white horse from housetop to housetop. And it wasn't until the poem, The Children's Friend, in 1821, that the magical white horse was transformed into reindeer. And look what Revelation 6-2 says. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went forth, conquering and to conquer. Children are taught that Santa is propelled through the night by eight magical reindeer who land Santa on an, in an anti-gravity sleigh, so he's in a UFO, and lands on housetops of good people all around the world. And reindeer are horned animals, and they represent the horned god Pan. They're also referred to as the stag god in the pagan religion. And in the Satanism, the number eight is the number of new beginnings. This is the symbol of brimstone. I'll show you another, another view of this. This is one of the symbols, new symbols adopted by the Church of Satan. This came after I left. And what it stands for is the double cross. Here's a, a representation of it. What you see is the cross, and you see the, the double cross here. That's clearly understood. But down here is the infinity symbol, but it also forms an eight, symbol of new beginning. And this is the symbol of brimstone. The devil plagues and torments us in the place where we're the most tender and weak. And in paradise, he fell not upon Adam, but upon Eve. The most vulnerable and least resistant, we said, are our children. And Jesus clearly warns us against harming any of our little ones. The younger years are the most spiritual truthful in one's life. As we grow older, the logical and lustful... Now, I'm going to interrupt the broadcast right there, but I don't want you to stop listening because it's very important that you... How do I say this? That you not offend the Lord, that you not break His laws. Look, how can you expect God to bless you when you have a Christmas tree in your house, when you're doing Halloween, when you're doing Easter and trick-or-treat and some of these other things that the Bible says are so wrong. How can you expect the blessings and the protection of God when you do that? Well, you don't count on it. So you need to get yourself informed. That's the reason we got five DVDs. One's a double DVD. Five DVDs, four titles, valued $140 for a gift of $40. It's called the Occult Holiday gift offer. Yes, go get it. 
you will be shocked. Again, I promise you, Steve Dollins could probably walk through most people's houses. I'm going to say it this way. I don't think that there's a person listening that could stand a walkthrough by Steve Dollins in your house and him not find something that was occult. Yeah, 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 I know you got... (laughs) You got the I love the Lord things hanging up. I know. I understand. You got the Bibles laying out. What you don't understand is is the things that are in your house, some of them very, very innocent, that are really occulted. Get yourself informed. Five DVDs, four titles, $140 value today for a gift of $40, prophecyclub.com, prophecyclub.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for prayers. And yes, we still, as a matter of fact, we don't exist because we're offering DVDs. But we exist because of your prayers and your generous donations. Thank you. God bless. Now from the Prophecy Club, some exciting opportunities for you. Go visit WatchProphecyClub.com where you can watch over 160 Prophecy Club titles for an introductory monthly recurring subscription of just $20 a month, or a yearly subscription for $200. The early $200 subscription is the best deal because it locks in your rate against increases in monthly subscriptions. That's WatchProphecyClub.com. You'll love the format. It's easy to watch, and the quality is great. WatchProphecyClub.com. WatchProphecyClub.com. Go check it out today.